of three when children open the shoe boxes they're so excited those faces just transform yeah these kids behind me are so excited because they've just received their boxes the mouth is wide open the voice is raised smiles are all over that box brings joy we're right now in Phnom Penh in Cambodia I mean it's just been Incredible. Kids are so excited. Giving them a gift, do it in Jesus' name, and that's what this is all about. Jesus loves you. It's a gospel opportunity. It's the chance for the children to change the entire life. That's what I love about Operation Christmas Child. It knows no borders, it knows no boundaries. It's all about sharing the name of Jesus Christ. Churches are doing big things with Operation Christmas Child. Everybody out there who packs shoe boxes, they are spreading God's love. It's families, it's churches, it's hundreds of thousands of volunteers that help make Operation Christmas Child so successful. We couldn't do it without them. With this box, they do get the gospel story. They do hear about Jesus. It has maximum impact in the worldwide kingdom of Christ. I mean, what better thing could you do than be involved in fill shoe boxes? Some of them go by train, some go by camels, some go by ships. These boxes go all over the world, and that is only the beginning. After receiving the shoe boxes, the children will be invited to go to the greatest journey, which is a 12-lesson discipleship program where they learn about the greatest gift, which is Jesus Christ. After a child completes the greatest journey, they graduate and receive a Bible in their own language. When the light of the gospel is turned on, 
that changes everything. Churches are being planted, lives are being changed, communities are being transformed. The word of God is spreading. The gospel is advancing. It is impacting children. It is impacting families. It is impacting the world greatly. Thank you for praying. Thank you for giving. I would like to ask you to consider packing shoeboxes year-round. God will bless, and God will use your gift to touch the life of a child and to be able to do it in Jesus' name. So thank you. Thank you for being a part of it. God bless each and every one of you. Maybe you're new to Only Believe, or you've just been here a while observing, but you're not involved. You know you're a part of a bigger picture, but you don't know exactly what that looks like. I'm Pastor Nicole. I'm asking you to become a member here at Only Believe. Spend a Saturday morning with me, the first Saturday of the month, and let me share with you this wonderful prayer that we pray for your life. I wanna discuss it with you. You know, it's important that we know who God is and then when we know who he is, our soul and our hearts begin to change. And we find freedom from things that often have been a vice in our life or chains that the devil meant to hold us bound. And then I'm gonna help you discover your purpose. We're gonna go through a class together and learn what you were designed to do. And then we're gonna do that and make a difference in the kingdom. See, everyone has a part to play in the body of Christ. I want you to find yours. Join me Saturday for Next Steps. You will definitely see what's next for you. I think I'm going to do just that, going back to bed. <laughs> I'm actually going to take the extra hour to study God's Word. <laughs> okay, because I'm doing that too, but just in bed with a lamp. <laughs> Welcome to Only Believe Ministries this Wednesday night. Well, that was fun, right? 
All right, so welcome, welcome. It's a Wednesday night midweek service. If you are a visitor in the house tonight, we want to say welcome to our family tonight. There's a card in the front of the seat. If you'll just grab that, you can fill it out, take it to the Welcome Center. And if you want information about your church, that's fine. If you don't and you just want to observe tonight, worship with us, get some of the word, that's okay too. We're glad that you came and we're glad you joined us. All of our live streamers, anyone viewing from Twitter, YouTube, welcome to our family as well. And if you're not here, we know you will be when you can get back in the house. It's good to see you. All right, so I got two announcements for you tonight. One... Everybody say, next Monday is November the 2nd. All right, now we know what's coming up is our election. It's a huge day in our country, right? But we as a church are not void from what's happening in our nation, right? We have a responsibility. So on Monday, we are going to be fasting for the election. I'm asking everyone to fast, and if you have not voted Please, please, please use the American freedom that's been given to us by the men and women that have purchased these freedoms for us and use them. If you don't know who to vote for, you need to pray and fast and God will tell you what to do. But I'm going to tell you, for me, it's real simple. It's in the word of God. I'm voting for the sanctity of life and the sanctity of marriage, which is between a man and a woman. Those go along with the written word of God, and that's where I'm standing. So I would encourage you, fast for our nation. Fast that people that have never decided to vote before will rise up and take their American freedom and vote. Pray that the hearts of men and women in this nation are changed, not just about our presidencies but about God, right? We have a church that is ready and available to receive the brokenhearted. And what's going on right now, we need it. Also on Sunday, exciting, we are starting a new series in the house called The Blessing. Pastor's gonna begin starting that, and then I'm gonna do another week because on November the 3rd, on voting day, dad's gonna have surgery on another knee. That's all right. That's all right. He already casted his vote. You don't need to worry about that. But we'll all be praying for him. So on Monday when we fast for the election, let's just throw pastor in there as well. Amen. That everything goes smooth. And he doesn't want just one good knee. He wants both of his knees replaced. All right. So stand to your feet tonight. We're going to praise and worship the Lord. It's good that you're in the house tonight. And we get to worship our Savior. Amen.
Jesus is our champion. Amen. Hallelujah. It's going to be a great night, church. 
I sense it in my spirit. God's going to be doing some amazing things tonight. Uh, hey, by the way, Pastor is hunting right now in North Carolina, so be praying for Pastor to get a deer, please. Everyone going to pray, as Pastor Cole mentioned about praying and fasting. Uh, I, he's been out, I think, since uh, hunting Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I think he gets back on Friday. Uh, he had the privilege of taking uh, Quit and his grandson, some other uh, children as well. I know they're having a great time, but I don't think he's gotten a deer yet, I don't think. So uh, I'm, I'm looking at, he did? Quitten did, yeah. Quitten got a deer, praise the Lord. All right, and Pastor Rick Burks from Dayton, Ohio got it. Now, now you know Pastor's going to have a little competition now. If Pastor Rick Burks got a deer, Pastor's going to have to get a deer here. So we probably got a couple more days. Let's pray for victory tomorrow. Amen for Pastor. If you got your Bibles tonight, please uh, get ready to turn to Luke chapter 11, verse 42. It's time to receive our tithes and offerings. And if you need a tithing offering envelope, obviously the ushers can help you, or you can just simply re reach in front of you. There's many envelopes right in front of the pews or on the ledges going the risers. Uh, for those of you that are watching online, now's your time to give as well. You can text to give by texting 77977 or by going to obmcc.org slash giving. And anyone in here that uh, likes to give electronically, which I do, it's an easy, convenient way of giving, uh, you can do that as well. Thank you so much for your giving tonight. Uh, I'm going to go, like I said, to Luke 11:42, and then if you would, keep your fingers there, and then I'm going to move to Matthew chapter 6, verse 2. I'm going to read verse, uh, I'm going to read Luke 11:42 first, though. And here's what it says, and this is Jesus speaking to us right now in Luke 11:42. It says, Jesus says, but woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe and mint and rue and all manner of herbs and pass by justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. I want to bring a couple things out in this scripture. First is, some people say that no, tithing is just in the Old Testament, right? Malachi chapter 3. But no, tithing is in the New Testament. In fact, this is Jesus telling the Pharisees, the religious leaders of that day, that they should be tithing. Now, the good news was they were tithing in this scripture. The bad news was Jesus chastised them because they tithed not because of their love and passion for God, they tied to get men's approval, and that's not what we're supposed to do. Now, let's move to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verse 2 says this. Now, this is Jesus speaking once again. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues, i.e. the Pharisees in Luke eleven forty-two, and in the streets, that, there may, that they may have glory from men. As surely I say to you, they have the reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. Jesus is telling us here in Matthew chapter 6 that when we give, we should give because of our love for God. It should be because of our passion for Him. It should be for, because of what He's done for us. It should be an easy thing for us to do. And when we tithe and we give offerings, it should come from our heart. It should be because of our gratitude and thankfulness for what God has done for us. When you think about where we are all at one point in time in life, uh, most of us didn't uh, uh, come out of their mother's room as a, as a Christian. Think about what God did for us by sending his only begotten son to this earth to, to die, to shed his blood, that our sins could be forgiven, that we could be reconciled back to him. So when we give tonight, when we give our tithes and offerings, it's about our, our love and appreciation. It's a way we say, God, thank you so much for what you've done for me. And this is just a small token of me being obedient to your word and me giving tonight. So tonight as we give, let's give with a clean and a pure heart and, and let God know that we love him with all of our heart, with all of our might, with all, with all of our soul. Amen. Let's pray tonight.
Father, I just thank you, God, for everyone that's tithing tonight, everyone that's giving offerings tonight. Lord, I ask you to bless them, Lord. I thank you, Lord, as you say in Malachi chapter 3 that when we tithe, the windows of heaven will be open upon our lives. Thank you for doing that, Lord. Thank you for blessing the people back, some 30, some 60, some 100-fold. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the privilege it is to call you Father, to call you, uh, to be called the son and daughter of God. We love you with all of our hearts in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. It's time to bring our tithes and offerings to the Lord, everybody. Praise the Lord. Everybody okay tonight? We doing good? Uh, amen, amen. It's good to be back in the house of the Lord once again. So uh, I know this is probably going to be one of our final uh, weekends here where it's not going to be dark, you know, after five. So, oh, it is what it is, right? Winter's coming. Five o'clock, it'll be dark. We'll be in bed by eight. <laughs> yeah. Hallelujah. It's what it feels like anyway, especially when it's raining and everything else. My title tonight um, is a crazy title, and the title is called Forgiving God, question mark. I did not want to teach this at all, so, and I actually said I'm not teaching this. I'm going to teach something else, because this is crazy. This is way too deep for a Wednesday night, especially. Way too deep for me, actually. Um, but as I was going another direction, man, I got hit hard to go back to this, so I went back to this, and I, I did not, I, I, there's like 12 or 13 other pages of notes that did not get on this tonight. So apparently God is wanting to just to, just to take a piece of this and throw it out here tonight to maybe some of you that, that need it. So um, we're just barely scratching the surface of this topic. I, we could go for weeks probably on this, but so I just want to let you know now, I don't have all the answers, all right? But I'm hoping tonight to take one piece of nugget and, and give it to you, and we'll get to that. But right now, I want to show you this quick video right here. Rise and shine. Breakfast is ready in 10 minutes. And don't make me come back up there. This is our town. It's a close-knit community, the kind of place where everyone knows everyone. Hi, Miss Jay. Hey, how are you girls? And we're always there for each other. Nice sermon, Pastor. What do you guys have on for the rest of the day? Well, John has a basketball game. Yeah, I've seen this guy hoop it up around here. This kid is so lit. Text your mom tomorrow and tell her when and where to pick you up. And, uh, don't do anything stupid. Love you guys. The ice. We're training for the Olympics, sir. Cindy. He's been underwater for more than 15 minutes. It's gonna be a recovery, not a rescue. I got something. We got him. We've done everything medically. 
physically possible. There's nothing more we can do. Please, God, send your Holy Spirit to save my son. St. Charles boy who spent 15 minutes trapped underwater is continuing to fight for his life. I don't believe John will survive the night. You don't know my son. He is a fighter. So I need you to be the best for John and you just let God do the rest. You are my pride and joy. I can't wait to see you shoot those baskets and run up and down the court again. The Smith family asked for one thing. Please pray for John. In the water that day, I was ready to give up. But then I hear this voice telling me, come back. Either I'm nuts or God's talking to you. But I don't believe in God. I believe, but maybe that only goes so far with something like this. I'm your pastor. I'm supposed to walk alongside you for as long as it takes. Did you see the Facebook page? It's gone viral. Tommy? I hope he's going to be OK. We're not going to get through this alone. Whatever you have for me, for Brian, for John, surrender. How many of you saw that movie? Yeah, how many? A lot of you went and seen that movie. That's awesome. It was a great movie. Well, I got, I guess I got the privilege of um, doing better than watching the movie. I met both of those people personally. A couple years ago, I was down at a pastor's conference, children's pastor's conference, the CPC conference in Orlando, Florida. And Janice and John were there, and I wanted to see them because I thought, wow, what a miracle, what a testimony. And so I'm standing in line, you know, I said, I don't like standing in lines, I like being patient. Finally, I get to them, and as I get there, God tells me to tell John something. And so I begin to talk to John and just tell him some things. And his mom looked over at him and said, whoo, he's reading your mail, boy. <laughs> And so that was a, a beautiful time. And then, so I, I'm sitting there with both of them. And <clears throat> I look at Janice. And Janice says, you know, I am so thankful for the miracle that God did for me. But it's been very painful. And I said, what do you, what do you mean, Janice? It's been very painful. He said, because it's not all good. And I never knew that this was going to happen to us. So all across the country, when we go to promote the movie and talk to people, there's all kinds of different emotions that, that we get. And the worst ones are, people will come up to me and say, why you? Why your child and not mine? Who do you think you are? Are you better than me? I thought God was no respecter of persons. And I was taken back. She said people would come up to her angry. Come up to them weeping and sobbing because their child didn't live. And I was sitting there looking at an amazing miracle. And yet I was so broken hearted for them because of all the other people that didn't get their prayer answered like Janice did with John. And so <clears throat> there's a lot of things that happen in this world that we just can't explain. We can't rationalize it and we don't understand it. There are things that happen in this world that we wonder why. Why is this happening or that happening? 
Why does God allow hunger and starvation? I mean, all growing up, I've seen and you've seen these African kids on television with flies all over their faces. You know, and they're starving to death. I've seen them personally, not just on television. I've been there. Been there many, many times. And I've seen it personally. And so, why does God allow that to happen? Is this really God's fault? So, you know, probably 90% of the questions that we have, if we would just dig, 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 we would find the answers to. So I decided I was going to dig just a little bit. I go on rabbit trails all the time anyway. So I was going to dig a little bit. God, is it really you? Why did these African kids, why are they starving? Why is no money coming into Africa? And you know, I found out some amazing things. Now I'm just going to give you a couple little here because I was shocked. <clears throat> there was a guy by the name of Moi, M-O-I. I don't even know how you say his name. He's the Kenyan leader. He was the Kenyan leader for many, many, many years. And he stole $4 billion from Kenya. Four B billion dollars from Kenya, from the tax mayor money. And he also got caught up in other scandals. One was called the Goldenberg Affair that had to do with lots of jewelry and things of that nature. Nigeria's general, Abaka, I, don't, I guess that's how you say his name, stole $5 billion in the time that he was there in rule. <laughs> this was a great one. Congo leader, Seko, S-E-K-O, stole huge sums of money and stashed it away in foreign accounts. I found a list a litany of people, women, men, top leaders in Africa, buying $500 million buildings in France and different places, and $50 million boats and yachts. I couldn't believe this. Every year, $1 trillion is stolen from Africa. That's $19.5 billion of lost taxpayer revenue that corrupt leaders are living off the stolen wealth of the, merit of the African people. That's one answer right there. Just one of why maybe some kids in Africa aren't getting food because of these corrupt leaders. That's crazy. But let's look at the weather. This year alone, 27 tropical storms came in and 10 of them turned into hurricanes. I think that's the most ever. We went through all the alphabet right and then we had to go numerally and, and things like that. Wow, why? That's crazy. Other disasters like tornadoes, earthquakes, and tsunamis, they are all called acts of God by our insurance companies. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> and I've also heard people say that these kind of tragedies, these kind of storms are just God's way of getting our attention or God's way of taking care of certain people's sins. I'm like, okay, well, that really doesn't make any sense. But how about, how about this answer? Could it be that we live in a broken world and that these things are happening because of man's sins? That's an answer. Because we do live in a broken world. And now at least God hasn't been um, blamed for the coronavirus. That's... China's being blamed for that, uh, for now, anyhow. Uh, God may get it a little bit later, you know. And the H1N1 virus that happened in 2009, God didn't get blamed for that one either. That was pigs that has been blamed for that. 
Anybody want some pork chops tonight? <laughs> so at least God got a pass for those two things. For now, anyhow. But let's bring it closer to home. Some of us might say, well, you know, when I became a born-again Christian, why all of a sudden did the IRS call me with a bill that I owed from six years ago? I was doing fine until I gave my life to Christ. Why did everything fall apart, seeming, seems like, when I gave my life to Jesus? Why? Why did that happen? I was doing great as a sinner. Why all of a sudden now am I having all these problems, marriage problems, work problems, people problems? You're always going to have family problems, no matter who you are. Why did he allow me to be molested or raped or beat or mistreated? Why did I have a miscarriage or several? Why did a person who sowed thousands of dollars into miracle crusades die of cancer? That's my big question that I have. Why didn't he heal my marriage? Why hasn't he answered my prayers yet? I also hear all the time when a person dies, well, it was their time. You guys have heard it. You may have even said it. Okay, it was their time. So it was a six-month-old baby's time. A 20-year-old, 30-year-old, 40-year-old, six-week-old, two-day-old. Really? It doesn't make any sense to me when people say that. It was their time. Okay, that just doesn't make any sense to me. Or it was God's will. It was God's will. It was God's will for them to get smashed by a semi-truck? Really? Because when I open up the Bible to 3 John 2, God says that above all things, say all things. Above all things, I wish that ye prosper and be in health. Above everything, that's what God wants for you. So it really, is it his will for you to get smashed by a truck? I don't think so. I don't think so. How about this one? I heard this one five days ago. And I had to just hold my tongue because this one is a big one for me. Well, God took him or her to heaven because he needed them for something. We may have even said it. I, I just, I don't understand that. Number one, that's false, okay? I looked that up too. I went all through the Bible. Does God, do you really need us in heaven for anything? And the only thing that I found was in Psalms 50 where he said, God said that if I was even hungry, I wouldn't tell you because I own everything in this earth and the fullness thereof. So he don't need us. He doesn't need us. So that statement is false. And it's not true. That's number one. And number two, when you say that, you are telling the person that no longer has their loved one there that God really doesn't care about you. Ouch is right, Ron. Ouch. that It's, it's about him. It's not about you. So that's just not true. But see, we say those things to try to comfort our loved ones or ourselves because we really don't have the answer to those questions. Amen? I mean, we ask, where was God when that happened? Or why didn't God stop it? I mean, he is all-powerful. 
Why didn't he stop it? Eventually, if we don't settle those issues, here's the things that I wrote down that could happen. Number one, we get mad at God. We always do. Number two, we hold a grudge against God. Number three, then we begin to blame God. Then we end up walking away from God because we can't get those questions answered. And I've seen it and you've seen it too. Eventually and sometimes it goes so far as the people will claim then now there is no God. That this Bible is false. It happens. A lot of these pews are empty because of it. Turn your, book, uh, turn your Bibles if you have it here or your cell phones or whatever you got to the book of Habakkuk. The book of Habakkuk. If you don't know where that is because a lot of people don't even open that book up. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. Just go back five books of the Bible and you'll see Habakkuk. Especially for those of you new Christians out there. Habakkuk was a prophet. And he kind of had some questions and situations um, that he was dealing with, the, the kind that we're talking about here tonight. He had some issues with God. And if you look in, <clears throat> let's see, we'll just go, I know I said Habakkuk 3, verse 3. I'm going to just look at, uh, I'm going to move over here. You don't have to do anything on the screen. But it says here in verse 1, the prophet had some questions for God. And the first one was, oh Lord, how shall, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? How many of us have done that? How long have I cried and you haven't listened or heard? So he had four things. Complaints to God. Number one, God did not hear his prayer. The second thing, God looked the other way when violence came upon his people. If you continue to read down in Habakkuk 1, that's what it says. Number three, God's own covenant people are having to endure injustice. Lord, we see that all through the Old Testament. And number four, God tolerated evil. Those were his four complaints to God. You're not listening. You're looking the other way. My people, I love you. I follow your ways and I'm going through some crazy stuff. And you're tolerating evil. Why? Why, God? He's asking those questions. Now, <clears throat> somewhere in between verse 1, chapter 1, and chapter 3, we're going to start in 17. Habakkuk says these things. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut out from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Now he may have been crying as he says these things. We don't know. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet. He will make me walk in, on the high hills. <laughs> so even though he had these issues, he did not fall away from God. No, he by faith continued to live for God. That's awesome. It's powerful. So it's just not you and I who have these issues. 
It's all through the Bible, and we're just touching on some of these tonight. Look at Job. We knew we had to bring up Job. I mean, that's a given, right? Look what Job lost. He lost seven sons and three daughters. 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 oxen, 500 female donkeys, his house, and a bunch of servants all in one day. One day all this happened to him. What would you have done, John? If you got this news, somebody else came to you, I'm the only one alive, and this is what happened to your kids. I'm another one comes, I'm the only one alive, and the house fell in on everybody else. I'm the only one alive, man. Some people came and they stole all of the sheep, man, all of them. John, what would you have done? I'd have probably had to put some duct tape on my ears. Well, I'm blankety, blankety, blank, 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 beep, 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 blank, blank, blank. I know this, I'd never see any of you guys back in this church on Sunday. I mean, one little thing goes wrong, we don't come. Let alone this. That's massive. And he loved God and served God and had done no wrong. And this happens to him. But here's what he says. <clears throat> you blanken... Oh, no, he didn't say that, no. I'm sorry, I was reading the wrong, wrong, that's what I would have said, no, no, this is what Job says, naked I came, and naked I will go, the Lord gives and takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord, now this is Job's perspective, I think we've taken that song and take it way out of context. God gives and he takes away. But see, Job didn't understand that God didn't take that away. The devil took that away. God didn't take that away. The devil did. But where he was at, that's what he believed. But he didn't know all the other stuff was going on. He didn't know that basically his life was a bet between God and the devil. It's so weird to me that that happened to him. And then if you look on down to Job 9, go to Job chapter 9 and verse 4. All this is happening to him. His friends start coming over. Now, not only did all that happen, but then, just a little while later, the devil struck Job. God said, you can't kill him. And what did he do? He put boils all over his body from head to toe. And it was extremely painful. I guarantee you there was no amoxicillin and no, no Advil or Tylenol for that. And I guess he would scrape off the stuff. Oh, unbelievable. So his friends came over and they started telling Job, dude, man, you have sinned, bro. You have messed up somewhere really bad. One of his friends even said, dude, you have done something so wicked that you better repent. His wife come out. Why don't you just curse God and die, honey? All that stuff against him, plus everything that he sees. And here's what Job said in 9.4. Wow. Who has hardened himself against him, who's him, the Lord, and prospered? It was a question. Who has ever hardened his heart to God and prospered? 
Wow. So he has a fantastic statement there in the beginning. And he continues to hold fast. Even through all the ridicule and all the blaming and all, what did you do wrong? Dude, you've messed up. Just curse God and die. He doesn't walk away from God. He doesn't do it. Not at all. That's phenomenal to me. Wow. Now look at, uh, go to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel. If you're there, 1 Samuel. We're going to look at another guy's name. I never even knew this guy was in the Bible until I started searching. His name was Elkanah, is how I would say the name, Elkanah. All right, in 1 Samuel, we're looking at, uh, I guess, verse number 1 here. He was a good guy. He loved God. He had two wives, the Bible says. I don't know why he wanted two, but he had two. <laughs> you know, I, I personally think, and this is just my opinion, and this is why I'll read this first and I'll let you know. It says, in Elkanah, he had two wives, and this is uh, 1 Samuel 1, verse 2. Uh, one was named Hannah, and, and the, the name of the other one was Penina. Now, Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. So now, me personally, maybe he took the second wife because Hannah couldn't have kids. And, of course, back then, man, kids was, was everything. And so he took another wife because they could have kids. That's just my, my two cents. I'm probably wrong. Anyhow, verse 3, it says, This man went up from the city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Also, the two sons of Eli, those two guys, the priests of the Lord were there. And whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. Now, this is crazy. Look at verse 6. And her rival, who's her rival? Who's Hannah's rival? The other wife, Penina. Penina also provoked Hannah. Severely, the Bible says, severely, whatever severely means, to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was year after year, the Bible says, year after year. Wow, that's a long time. Doesn't say exactly how long, but just year after year. Year after year. They went up to the house of the Lord, that, and then she provoked her. Therefore, she wept and would not eat. So you got another wife, year after year after year, not leaving it alone. You've got kids. She don't, but it just still isn't good enough. Nah, 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 nah. I mean, come on. You know, I don't know what, how women are vicious, man. They're cruel. They're bad. It's rough. A lot rougher than guys. I can't imagine what Penina did what she said, to just where she was miserable to where she would cry bitterly and wouldn't even eat. Why am I Panita? Shoot. I don't know where her husband was. That boy ought to stood up, but he didn't. I don't know what happened there. But finally, all right, <clears throat> go down to verse 10. Okay, and, and she was in bitterness of soul, and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Now, don't you think that she did this years before? Absolutely. Absolutely. Years before. And let me, let me just say this about, about her husband. Okay, I said he was a great guy, right? Well, he was a, he was a man. 
Because if, as I read in there, she was so miserable that he obviously saw it. And at one particular time, he looked at her and he said, Yo, babe, what's wrong? Aren't I better than ten sons? This is what that boy said to her. Are you kidding me? Now, the Bible doesn't say what she said back to him. <laughs> but that was messed up. I mean, that, we would never say that, you know, to our wives. Man, it'd be all like Donkey Kong. So the Bible doesn't record, for some reason, what Hannah said back to her husband when she said, Why well, aren't I better than ten sons, baby? <laughs> Woo! But anyhow, okay, back to Ted. So she was in bitterness of soul, and she prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but you will your maid, give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall come up on his head. And you know what? God honored Hannah and gave her a son and his name was Samuel, some of you read your Bible, it's good. His name was Samuel. Samuel was a good boy, a good boy. But not only did God honor Hannah with Samuel, but he also gave her three more sons and two more daughters. How many of you think that, that Hannah went back to Penina and was like, <laughs> I, I don't think she did. I think Hannah was a great woman of the Lord. But she didn't give up. And here's a statement. If you're writing something down, I want you to write this down. And if you're not writing anything down, I want you to write this down anyway. Just because you don't see something doesn't mean he's doing nothing. All right, we should have had that up on the screen. I don't know if Andrew put that up there or not. But just because you don't see something doesn't mean he's doing nothing. Listen, God is always at work. Always doing something. I believe on our behalf. I believe that with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Even though we don't see it, I believe he's doing something for you and I. Amen? I believe that. And Daniel is a prime example. She, gee, I'm going to Daniel. That was another given. Look what happened to Daniel. Praying and fasting. Fasting for 21 days before an answer came to him. It looked like God was doing nothing. In Daniel's perspective, 21 days, man, I'm sure the boy was getting very hungry at 21 days. I get hungry at, I, I get hungry at four hours, yeah, okay, whatever. So 21 days of fasting because he, he really needed that answer from God. And finally the angel got there, 21 days, he didn't give up, he didn't say, I guess you're doing nothing, I guess you're... You're so big and I'm just nothing. I'm just puny and, and there's better people out there and there's different things for you. I'm nobody. I, my prayer is nothing. I'm just this little guy that whatever. No, he never gave up and the answer came and he said, listen, from day one, God heard your prayer. Listen, from day one, God hears your prayer. From day one, he does. But there was some fighting going on. In the heavenlies, there was some fighting going on, and he had to break through to get his answer. Daniel didn't give up, never did. Now, some people think that God controlled the Old Testament, and that Jesus, and of course, and that God was a mean God, very bad God, mean God, mean God, and that Jesus came in in the New Testament, 
ruled the New Testament, and he was all love. Love, love, love. So I, when I'm hearing these statements, and I thought, okay, well, let's just find this out. I, I like this. So I'm looking things up, and this is crazy what I found here. Abraham, in Genesis 18.23, Abraham is talking to God. Because there's a horrible city that's doing horrible things in Sodom and Gomorrah. Bad, 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 bad things. Horrible things. Thank God we got some amazing conservative judges coming in. Hallelujah. Because it was those judges, if you'll read back there, that let these things, that ruled these things, and allowed these things to happen by their ruling and by their judging. So thank God for conservative judges coming into America. Hallelujah. But anyhow, so he asked God, Abraham asked God in Genesis 18, 23, would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked God? Talking about Sodom and Gomorrah. He asked God, if there were just 50 righteous in Sodom and Gomorrah, would you destroy it? And God answered back and said, I would not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah if there was only 50 righteous people there. And, and he was like, oh, good, awesome. <clears throat> but God, um, I, I know I'm just dust, and I, and I know I'm really, I'm really nothing, but what about if there was 40? If there were just 40 righteous, would you destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? And God looked at him and said, no. If there was 40 there, just 40 people, I wouldn't. Destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Oh, good. God, I, thank you. I just, that's so awesome. This, it, one, more, one, more, one more question, God. Just, just one. I know you're busy. 30. If there were just 30 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah, would you destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? God said, no, I wouldn't. Abraham turned around. <laughs> wait, God. Wait, wait, wait. I'm not making this up, okay? 20. If there was just 20, God said no. And he said, please don't be angry with me, God, but what if there was just 10? Just 10 righteous people in a city of filth, in a city that hates you, that does whatever it wants to do. Would you destroy the city if just 10 righteous were there? And what do you think God's answer was? No. He said, I would not. Wow, that's a mean God that we serve, isn't it? Hmm. That's amazing. So, and there's so many more examples of how good God is. We serve a wonderful God. So I went to the New Testament. And I wanted to find our all-loving and amazing Jesus who is just so loving. And so I found in Mark, the fourth chapter, and you can go there because it's a very familiar story. Mark, the fourth chapter. <coughs> I'm going there myself. And uh, let's look at verse 37 here, Mark 4, 37. And it says, now Jesus was, was in the boat, okay? This is where he was sleeping. They were on the water, all right? And it says, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling up. But he was in the stern. Jesus was in the stern, and he was asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Now, number one, these, these disciples, I, I don't know. They're okay, I guess. 
I mean, Jesus is in the boat too, dummies. Don't you care that we're... Jesus would perish also. Don't you care that we're perishing, he says? And then he arose. Now, have you ever been woken up by some dumb questions? <laughs> I can't imagine he had to keep his cool. Jesus, yeah. Uh, he, he, woke, he arose. He rebuked the wind and to the sea. He said, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. But then he turned around and he looked at those bozos as he's probably wiping the sleep out of his eyes. You woke me up for this. He says, why are you so fearful? Then he says, how is it that you have no faith? Our loving Jesus looked at them. Why are you so fearful? What's wrong with you guys? Where's your faith? You still have no faith? After all I've done, after what you've seen me do, I've sent you out. You still have no faith. What he was telling them is they could have handled the situation on their own. I've given you the power to do this. I could have stayed asleep, continued to dream. But no, because of your no faith, I had to do what you should have and could have done. Because I've given you the power to do it. Now, let's take that scenario at a different... What if Jesus wasn't on the boat? And their faith, of course, they didn't have any. And they perished. Who do you think would get the blame for that? God. God gets the blame for everything. But would it have been God's fault? Whose fault would it have been? Theirs. Why? Because they didn't use their... But it's God's fault. It would have been God's fault. So, I thought that was interesting. <laughs> in Genesis 1.26, God says, let us make man in our image. Who is us? Who is he talking to? He's talking to the Father, or he is the Father, talking to the Son and the Holy Spirit. God said, let us make man in our image. That's plural there. So God wasn't alone in the Old Testament. No, Jesus was right there with him. All right? Then it says in Genesis eleven seven, 7, when, of course, the Tower of Babel was being built, and they thought they were going to, like, just shoot it up to God, and it, they were, it was them. They were doing it all. Pride was there. God also looked down, and he said, let us go down and confuse their languages. Let us. So apparently Jesus was there as well. So it just wasn't God in the Old Testament. They weren't separate. They were there together. And then when you look in the New Testament, all right, in John 5, 9, Jesus says, the son can do nothing of himself but what he sees his father do. So the only time Jesus was alone, and he was never alone, was when he became man and we came to the earth. But he was always talking to the father. He was always going out by himself and praying and getting advice. And he says, I can't do nothing without the Father. I only do what I see the Father doing. So again, they weren't separate. It wasn't just Jesus by himself in the New Testament and God by himself in the Old Testament. They were together all the time. Hallelujah. So here's the bottom line, guys. Human suffering started with human rebellion. There's an answer for you. Romans 5.12 Just as through one man Sin entered the world, 
and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. Human suffering started with human rebellion. And although God is sovereign, and sovereign simply means all-powerful, he is letting the devil rule the world. You can find that in John 12, 31. He is the ruler of the world. He is also called the prince of the power of the air. And you can find that in Ephesians 2, 2. And he only comes, say only, only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He is the ruler of this world. God has allowed him to rule where you and I live. And he only comes to still kill and destroy no matter how he does it. Look what he did to Job in just one day. And you think that he is going to be easy with you. You think he's not going to try to get you to hate God. To forsake God. To say that this Bible ain't real. This is a bunch of baloney. He's trying it every day. Every single day. Trying to hinder every one of your prayers like he did with Daniel. Because he doesn't want you to succeed because he hates your guts. Whether you're a sinner or a Christian. But sometimes when we give our life to Christ, whoo, now he's going to turn up the heat. Hallelujah. Okay. <sighs> now, but when it comes to believers, Luke 10, 19 says, I have given you, say me, authority to tread on serpents, and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy. Not some, but all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. That song was perfect. When I, uh, what does it say? When I open up my mouth, miracles start. That's right. Uh, breaking out, because I have authority, because Jesus has given it to me. Perfect song. Perfect. So miracles start coming out. We have to believe that no matter what we see. That's faith. And we have to live by faith. Amen? See, we're looking up to heaven saying, God, why aren't you doing something for me? But yet, we just read that he's giving us all authority in this earth. So I think sometimes he's looking down and going, why aren't they using what I'm giving them? I don't understand. Uh, Jesus, I don't get it. Why aren't they, why aren't, I give them everything. I gave them all the power, all the power to tread on all scorpions. Why aren't they using it? And then we're looking up going, why ain't you doing nothing? <laughs> Hallelujah. The goodness of God is not based on what he does or does not do for me or you. It's because of who he is. 